this is a hits-driven business. You know, you gotta take as many shots on goal as you can. What is the demand and can telehealth actually work? You know, we had this strong conviction that it would allow a lot more access to healthcare. But in reality, the technology isn't what's gonna drive that change. It's how can you build a product that's actually solving the real issues of the everyday person? Ever wondered how long it took an overnight success to become an overnight success? What were the first MVPs delivered by top companies and how did they do it? What were the vital pivots that changed their business forever? What tests were run that achieved the results that made the company the success it is today? This is My Product Tested. The show that unpacks how successful founders have tested their way to success and all the market validation that happened along the way. In studio as always from the hype team, Miles Hoefer and Cameron Calder. And here in studio this week, Mark Knowles, founder and CEO of the South African health tech startup, Oli Health. Mark believed that the healthcare industry has fallen behind from the rest of the technological advances, where the connection between healthcare practitioners is inaccessible and cluttered with solutions designed by healthcare practitioners for healthcare practitioners. On this week's episode, we'll find out how Oli Health realized there was a product market fit, how pivoting changed the business forever, and how using retention and stickiness pushed the business in the right direction to become what it is today. Uh, Mark, really great to have you in the studio. We've we've been following you guys on LinkedIn and all of your content across your various blog posts and all the PR that Ollie's built over the past two years or so. Um, and we're really excited to take a deep dive into Ollie and, and see what you guys are all about. Thanks, Cam. I'm super excited to be here and share a little bit more about the Ollie story with you. Yeah, well, um, I think the best place to start is always the beginning. I think um, as most entrepreneurs try try do in the world is is try change things and and try make them better and you know I'm a I'm a firm believer in the fact that all problems need to be solved and if they've been solved then there's there's no point of entering that market you know take an industry like uh, delivery apps you know all these delivery apps are popping up by the day and that problem has been solved. But with Ollie, you are focusing on building something that uh, is yet to be sold. And, you know, with healthcare being very fragmented, there's this opportunity for you guys to actually do some damage. So where did you start? What was the original problem that you try to solve with Ollie? Yeah, absolutely. I think just going back to that framework of, you know, a problem that's already been solved, I think that can actually stop a founder or a young person actually going after an idea you know, you kind of taught to plan and put out a, a product roadmap or business plan and then launch. But that's absolutely not been my experience. It's launch first and test as soon as you can. Like this is a hits driven business. You know, you got to take as many shots on goal as you can. And even looking at professional athletes, like the top scorers are also on the bottom end of that with the most misses but they understand that you've got to take chances and you've got to test and test and test. And, you know, during the middle of the pandemic, we saw this massive change in the way that patients were seeing healthcare providers. You know, it went from being in person to completely online and doctors were really scrambling to find out, you know, how can I offer a telehealth service and really focusing too much on telehealth and the video software and not the problem. And the problem that it's actually solving is it's connecting patients 
in a way that saves them time and money. So we got into the, the problem of how, how can we make a better connection with patients to doctors? And we launched our first version. And when I say MVP, I mean MVP, <laughs> super lightweight. It was hacky. It was done in a couple of days. Um, there were more bugs than, than in the Kruger Park. It was, it was really scrappy. But we just wanted to test the idea. Can we make it super simple for someone to go onto a mobile app and instantly book a doctor? and have that telehealth session, a 30 or 60 minute session. So, I mean, this, this will happen in the midst of uh, a, a big lockdown of, of COVID. And, you know, this, this all sort of took us by surprise. And it was amazing time for people to innovate where, you know, people were, were left at their homes. Typically, they would go visit practitioners in their office where the chance of them, you know, getting COVID in an environment like that was extremely high. And innovating that process and allowing that connection to be a lot more seamless was was very powerful at the time and how did you build that mvp and what was that mvp to solve that actual problem it didn't feel like innovation at the time just because we put out something that was so simple and we just wanted to put it out there and test the market to see what is the demand and can telehealth actually work you know we had this strong conviction that it would allow a lot more access to healthcare, but we know and we have from experience launching many products that that have failed is that you have to have strong convictions but loosely held and you know what we started to see is as we launched we had different categories that we kind of just were testing we had we even had gynecologists with telehealth you immediately thinking okay how, how's that going to work we're biokineticists gps and what we wanted to see is Number one, can we get enough interest and then can we get that booking with that provider? And what we started to see is that, you know, 90% of the bookings coming through were for these mental health providers. We had psychologists and therapists and, you know, initially we started to think, well, that kind of makes sense because a use case of telehealth, you know, for mental health providers, it's conversational healthcare. So it makes sense that that telehealth booking would, would have increased adoption. But as we started to, you know, talk to our customers, which we've also learned is the most important thing, you know, you can go and research or look at competitors, but the only way you're ever going to find out what the real problem is, is by going deeper and having those customer conversations. Yeah. We just found that, you know, the, they would make one booking and have that session. It would go well. We would, we'd be so stoked, happy. We got a booking and then they wouldn't rebook. There was just no retention. So what do you think would, would, was the main reason for that? Why were they not coming back and making another booking? We thought, as any product builder thinks, we thought user experience, you know, we're not, we're not pushing the product enough over email. But when we spoke to them, it was the cost barrier. Like we realized, you know, they had maybe enough money to, to have a, a session, a once-off session, but mm -hmm. that average session is like seven, 800 rand. And, you know, with the pandemic, there was massive financial pressures. A lot of the patients, you know, they were struggling to pay rent. They had 20% salary cuts. Mm. You know, if you're struggling to pay rent, you're not going to, you're not going to pay that 800 yeah. rand upfront cash every single week. Which kind know? of starts guiding your thinking more towards some type of subscription model. Absolutely. We saw that, like, that's the cost barrier. And we're not going to get bookings unless we can get to the roots of the problem. And that's if we want to provide distributed access to healthcare, 
we have to have a, def a different system for patients mm. where they can access these appointments that's a lot more affordable. I mean, there's a, there's a lot interesting about this. I think the, the big one that I think a lot of people don't uh, recognize is the fact that you launched. And, you know, everyone might laugh at this and go, you know, that's, this is uh, a very simple thing that you put a product out in the, into the market and you just launch. But you know, what most people don't realize is that you get obsessed with the product and you end up dragging this out for years and years and, and never actually launch. And without launching, you can't test and you can't, can't validate certain tests. So, I mean, first of all, props to you for actually launching the product so early and doing it in a timely manner where COVID was. That's high. what I find so interesting is that, you know, while the world is, is uh, all battling this, this pandemic together and, and some people are losing their jobs, some people are fighting for their jobs, then Mark comes along and starts something completely new in, uh, in a country like South Africa. And I think, you know, the first thing you learn building anything is you have to leave your ego at the door you know you're not building a product or technology for the sake of of building it and i think that's what i really saw within telehealth there was this almost over emphasis on telehealth is going to change the healthcare industry because of the technology but in reality the technology isn't what's going to drive that change it's how can you build a product that's actually solving the real issues of the everyday person and that's when we realized it's the cost of of the actual sessions it's not about having these video sessions yes they save time it allows you to do it from home it's safer that's amazing but you know the real the real issue was was the cost and, and access to the healthcare yeah and i think i think the the big thing here and i'm sure miles's mind is going crazy here about testing because you know when you have a product out there it's just the basis for what the product will be, become over time. And the market guides you in the right direction for that product to become what it will eventually become. And you slowly peel back the layers and it becomes this very powerful tool that is actually solving a real problem. But you can't get there unless you peel back those layers. And I think that's the amazing thing and why Miles's mind is probably going crazy about these tests is because you, you start with this wide benchmark where... You're going after different markets, you're selling different products. The overarching problem is there, but you're not quite sure what that actual underlying insight is. And I think that that's very powerful. And the amazing thing is that you started with telehealth and in-person, as well as starting with a whole range of categories. And, you know, with gynecologists, you're talking, targeting a very specific market. With GPs, you're targeting a very specific market. With mental health, a lot of people don't see therapists ever. And, there's a lot of um, you know conditioning that needs to be done in the market, but the exciting thing is that you have all these different pillars that are tests running at the same time, and you're just trying to validate this in the market, which is so exciting for a starting point. So it's interesting that you say leave your ego at the door because essentially you're launching an idea, and then because you've launched this idea, your users and customers are going to shape that idea into the best possible product from then on and, and you call it test but i'd look at it as an experiment like that first product i wouldn't even have called it a product it was an experiment because exactly like you said mm. you got to leave that ego behind because you can draw up a roadmap over six months and you can have a beautifully designed google doc that you can you know send to investors if you have or mm. you know your product team 
But ultimately, in reality, you got to let your customers pull the product out of you. They've got, you've got to see what is their journey and what do they actually want? And they pull that feature out of you. You don't launch one feature a week or a month and, and kind of spray and pray, hope for the best, you know, let's, let's test all this data and these metrics. But in reality, like you're going to get emails saying, I need this, I want this, or like, I'm loving this booking, but like, it would be really cool if you added a payment gateway. In reality, the customers are going to pull that that product out of you, and it, it was definitely an experiment at the start. And you know, for us, we we started to see that you know ninety percent of these bookings were for mental health providers, and the demand for mental health was just absolutely massive. And we thought, you know, if we if we really focused on mental health, we could really understand our patients and our customers because, like you said, we had so many different categories when you book a gynecologist it's a completely different user journey than booking a mental health provider when you book a gp it's completely di it's completely different mm. so we knew that if we focused on doing one thing really well and that's making it cheaper and making it a lot quicker to book we could win and we could win a part of the market and you know how we got there was to really look at how healthcare has been designed and over the last 25 years, you know, medical insurance and medical aid companies have designed these structures where it was a different time. The cost structure of a company was different. You know, employee retention was five. You'd spent five, 10 years at a corporate company and they would happily pay for you to be on a top medical aid plan. But the world's changed and the pace of the world and the workforce is completely different now. You know, employee mm. retention is a year, year and a half at best for a lot of these corporate companies. And, you know, they need a healthcare benefit that fits into that new working structure. And that's when we realized that if we want to take on healthcare, we've got to take on how it's distributed to companies. And we have to take on these medical aid schemes that were designed in a different world. This is a new world. It's online. And, you know, we wanted to have a, an on-demand healthcare benefit. So that's when we kind of thought of the idea of what if we had a healthcare currency an internet native healthcare currency and it sounded crazy at the time but the more we thought about it it made sense we could create a different economy around healthcare where we could actually give employees these credits they can use these credits to book these online sessions and guess what they don't have to worry about having to pay upfront cash they don't have to worry about claiming through medical aid they can use these credits that's provided by the company and they can get access to this healthcare whenever they need. These sessions are fully anonymous. And that's what we're trying to test. Can a healthcare currency actually have supply and can it have demand? Yeah, I mean, the, the currency and credit side is, is so exciting and I have so many questions. But I, I want to actually take a step back where this is, you know, uh, the current situation of, of Oli and it's, it's taken a lot of time and a lot of learnings, a lot of experiments to get you. And, um, the word experiment you know, resonates with me so much where you're putting something out there as an A-B test or whether it be a, a multivariate test, whatever it may be to, to actually validate the product. And you spoke about retention earlier and you spoke about sort of 90% of the bookings coming from mental health and that's why you sort of decided to segue into mental health. But before that, what sort of metrics were you looking at that, that validated the test? Because you had a number of categories. 
You had uh, a whole variety of different markets, some niche, some very mass market. What actually made you decide that this was the time for us to head into mental health and these are the specific audiences that we were going to go after? What were those metrics and what did the metrics then pull out as these underlying insights that then informed you to, to in some way pivot? It's always super difficult in the start, you know, what metrics are you actually looking at? Because you launch a product and no one cares that you've launched a product. No one knows about it. Um, and, you know, you kind of, you need to know what your North Star is. And, and for us, we knew that we wanted usage. We wanted to create meaningful value. Like we can spend a lot on, on Google ads and like have a, a super high CAC, but what would the LTV be if they're only going to make one booking? Yeah. You know, that's when that's kind of my experience is that that consumer mobile model is incredibly difficult. You have to have a lot of distribution channels. You have to have some level of virality as well, because the numbers that you have to get in terms of user acquisition, incredibly high. And the churn can be high. And that's what we saw as well. You know, we were getting that first time booking, but to keep getting someone back to your product, that takes you know, a lot of resources, maybe it's retargeting. It was just me, I didn't have budget. And yeah, we wanted to look at, okay, what is the actual usage? How can we provide sessions online that can be more of a habit instead of diagnostic? You know, our generation tend to go to the doctor, what, once a year? Yeah. Um, I went to the last, went to GP a year ago. Yeah, don't get into dentists. Yeah, and you know, and South Africans have this mentality specifically, like, We'll, we'll tough it out, and if I'm feeling sick, maybe I'll go to the pharmacist, ask them for something. You know, mm. we want a quick, a quick fix. Quick fix. And we wanted to change that behavior because healthcare can be like forming a habit where it's not just diagnostic. You don't go because it's too late or you, you're feeling those symptoms, but how can we build that habit? So I think that main kind of metric was repeat bookings and how can we double down on that? And, and I guess you you wouldn't have segued into something like mental health unless you saw these re repeat bookings coming from this mental health category. Absolutely, yeah. The booking, the demand was just unbelievable. Nothing that I've ever experienced. I mean, I've worked in a, a startup in the actual on-demand grocery alcohol delivery space. Um, I've worked in the Airbnb space, which has had massive growth. But I've never experienced such a shift in a market where the demand was so incredibly high. I think we all at some point went through mental health pressures over the last two years. The isolation, the adjusting to the new world of, of work, the financial pressure, it was just so big that that was so clear that that was the problem that we needed to go after. Yeah, and, and I think there's the, the mental health way where you saw these repeat bookings and you saw, you know, I need to jump on this. And as, as you guys have said earlier that, you know, you need to pull your ego out of it and let the data guide you in the right direction. And I think, you know, there's a lot of respect uh, that I have for you for, for making those decisions, you know, ego aside, because a lot of people get, you know, so, so obsessed with their brand or product and then sort of guide it in the direction and force it in the direction. And I always have this analogy of, you know, pushing the side of a ship and, you know, if a, if a ship's standing still and you want to guide it in the right direction, you can't force it that way. You need to push the ship in the way that it's meant to be. And, you know, that, that's an amazing thing. And if you can accept that, 
and as you say, shift ego aside, then you're going to be heading in the right direction. And I think the, the great thing is you didn't stop there. It was you saw mental health, which was great, and you saw that there was these repeat bookings, but the market hadn't been tested yet. So you validated the product, you ran the experiments, you realized the right category for you, um, then you tested in-person versus telehealth, and sort of telehealth won the, the A-B test, if you want to call it that, and then you needed to test the market. What, how did you do that, and you know, where did you land? Getting the first 100 customers, that's the only thing you need to focus on. You know, it's easy to get distracted. You see, you see growth metrics that other companies push out there. Your job is to get 100 customers and 10 paying customers. 100 customers proves that there's a bit of usage, a bit of demand. A bit of, in, bit of interest. A bit of interest. You mm. know, they, they're willing to try something new. And then getting the, that first 10 customers shows that there's value, that there's, there's input and there's output. And, you know... It's, it's so funny that you actually say like that analogy. It, it felt like that in the beginning with our MVP. We were pushing the side of the ship and we didn't even know where the ship was supposed to be going. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's, it's a really tough situation to be in, but we were just pulled by that mental health market. You set your ego aside. You know, there's kind of this little voice in the back of your head that's, and once you realize it's just self-doubt saying, you don't know the market, you don't understand anything about mental health. You don't have qualifications, you know, you know absolutely nothing about it. And whenever I start to think those things, I get excited. I get super excited because then I know this is something big. This is an opportunity. And, you know, that's just a bit of self-doubt. And like going into mental health as a market was was just incredibly just, yeah, it was an amazing experience because I didn't have any reference point. And I think... We understood that if we could try and just create something that will make it more accessible with these credits, um, it, it can really change the market from the bottom up, starting with mental health, and, and hopefully we can expand that to other categories of healthcare. Yeah, I mean, I'm seeing a really nice common thread that you know even you're solving an original problem to make healthcare more accessible, but you haven't pivoted away from that even today. You know, you're still pushing this common thread to date of making. Although it's mental health, you're still making that specific product more accessible for people than ever before. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, typically with healthcare, it's very dependent on your location, um, specifically with doctors. I mean, their total addressable customer base was a 40 kilometer radius, you know, word of mouth. That's how they would get patients. And with telehealth, you can go across borders. But, you know, the challenge is within different countries, there's different healthcare systems. And they're legacy systems, you know, they're built not to appeal to total access, but to appeal to these companies who are paying these insurance structures and schemes. And what we realized that if we have a platform native currency, whether you're in the UK or Latin America or the USA, you can use these credits the same way you would use any other online currency, where it actually doesn't matter where you are in the world. You can use those credits. There's no exchange on your currency. You're not paying more or less. An Oli credit is an Oli credit. Can you buy an NFT with it? You cannot buy an <laughs> NFT. It's not minted on the blockchain. It's... Is, it, is it in the product roadmap to turn it into a cryptocurrency? 
Well, I think, you know, we're all going to end up NFTing something. So we can't we can't say that we won't for sure. But no, we, it's pretty sure on, uh, on the Cam's NFTed himself already. Yeah. So. <laughs> I've actually seen it. I've missed the bid, but missed out. <laughs> <laughs> auction ended. <laughs> so, I, I mean, you, you're now B2B. Uh, how, how did that transition happen from, from B2C to B2B over time? I think just, yeah, as I said, like the experience in consumer mobile is that you need to have big budgets for for campaigns as, as i'm sure you know working with your clients you have to really double down on different channels to get that cost of acquisition lower and get the numbers through the platform but with b2b we we, we knew that we could reach more people actually and you know you kind of have the benefit of if you sign up one client that's 250 users yeah. you know you get more seats at the table and, you know, Netflix, we, we knew we wanted to do a subscription model. But you look at a company like like Netflix, unbelievable subscription platform. But, you know, they have a 25%, 30% churn each year. Yeah. So that means every three years, they're essentially rebuilding their customer base. And that's what you see in, in consumer mobile. And what we saw in, in B2B is that we could go after these big corporates that then could distribute the credits. You know, we needed to get credits in circulation. And if we go straight to those companies, they have budget for healthcare benefits. And now they have these distributed teams. But how do you offer your developer or your head of growth or graphic designer in a different country, how do you offer them a healthcare benefit? It's incredibly complex. So we knew that that's how we could position ourselves. And then we could say to them for half the price and you don't have to pay per employee you can actually get access to these credits because that's the problem is that these healthcare schemes you have to pay per employee and as we've seen companies are now distributed they're either downscaling their team size or they're in a hyper growth stage where there's 20 30 employees each month that are coming through it's incredibly hard Mm -hmm. to manage but with these credits we knew that if we didn't charge per employee it's all about just getting company credits that mm. we could position ourselves for modern companies that are distributed. Yeah, I'm interested to to hear your sort of thoughts on um, uh, therapy sessions and, and how people sort of approach that in a company because I think, uh, especially in South Africa, uh, you know, from my experience, it's it's almost taboo in a way to, or not taboo, but it's, it's frowned upon to go uh, to get seek mental health it's there's there's a huge stigma you're absolutely right one of the core things that we learned is that the sessions have to be fully anonymous yes you know because if you bring in a mental health service a lot of the companies we spoke to they had an in-house counselor or therapist and you know one of the big advertising agencies we spoke to they said we have an in-house psychologist but no one goes to see her because you know they don't want to be seen even if you're a corporate word executive. of mouth it'll it will come back to them yeah in you, some don't, way. you don't want to walk out the therapist's office and yes. bump into bill in the hallway and <laughs> bill your manager bill your manager <laughs> and then he asks you know oh, how's it going Are you unstable oh, well, or <laughs> absolutely like there's that stigma and there's that mm. level of of judgment that you know can come into play and that's why we wanted to make the sessions fully anonymous mm. and i think that's where telehealth has that power you can mm fit it into your workday schedule or book one in the weekend or mm. eight o'clock in the evening. 
And you know, when you book as an employee using these credits, you, you know, the company doesn't know who's using the credits. You know, they just want to walk into they that Friday. They just make it accessible to the employees. Absolutely. Yeah. Walk into that Friday meeting and say, you know, you have access to mental health. You know, we are a third party company. So although we do work with HR, they don't get reports on, on who's making those bookings. And that's super important. Like we have to have that that level of trust. And I hope that by giving easier access to mental health, we can break that that stigma. We are seeing a lot more on TikTok. You know, there's there's over a billion views on mental health because people are really starting to share more. And, and that's that's super awesome to see. Yeah, I think I think especially in businesses, uh, there's so much politics as well that comes up and having that anonymous part to the actual product is is unbelievable. The fact that someone can, you know, look like they're having a quick Zoom call in one of the boardrooms and they've just had a 20, 40 minute uh, mental health session and, you know, it's kickstarted their entire month or, or made, made them a mental superstar where they can take on you know, any sort of stress that comes their way and, and deal with anxiety. But, uh, you know, as you said, you know, all of this kind of started at the beginning and accessibility, you wanted to solve that as a problem within healthcare. And you've carried this completely all the way to date where you've made it more accessible by entering into a B2B market where one individual can make it accessible for over a thousand people from just signing a very simple contract and they now have credits readily available to them. And, you know, that's from a problem solving perspective, but from a business growth perspective, you tested this model in an environment where you had multiple categories and you saw which one worked, but you had very two very key metrics. The one was retention, which, you know, as we know, would be attrition or stickiness over time. And the second one is lifetime value. And you know, heading in this B2B direction is incredible for those two metrics. You know, this this is why we have this podcast is to realize that it all originates from this experiment that was at the beginning. And you find these amazing insights that can carry the business to success over, you know, many years. And that was two years ago. And now it's still influencing your decisions today, uh, which is very exciting. And you know, where, where does this take us? What, where do you see Oli in the next couple of years? And you know, obviously keeping in mind these amazing insights and metrics you'll be tracking and, you know, we'll be staying very close to the growth of Oli and the journey you're taking. And, you know, we look forward to the future of Oli. Where where do you see it? What's what's the what's the North Star? I think as we get to learn more about mental health, it's it's been super interesting. I mean, you know, last year alone, over 400 million work days were lost due to mental health issues so what started out as an insight from an mvp is is kind of shed the light on mental health is is our generation's pandemic our our real pandemic so for us you know we have local companies in south africa but you know as i'm learning being a south South african and african entrepreneurs that often we confide ourselves into the the borders you know, we're incredible builders and makers and marketers. We have some of the best talent in the world, but we, we do suffer from this mindset where we can only make it big in South Africa or mm. even Africa if mm. we make it really big. Mm. But, you know, in, in the next year, we, we're really wanting to bring companies on board from, from different countries, have multiple languages for, 
for healthcare providers. For them, they get paid out instantly, the same way an Uber or Bolt driver would, which means they don't have to wait 30 days for medical insurance to pay them. So we can empower talent uh, globally. And and that's that's where we're driving our focus. You know, I, I see Oli as being, you know, a big global healthcare currency. And how we get there is exactly how we started. And that's testing and experimenting different mm-hmm. markets. We we're going to go to we're going to go to countries that we have a whole lot of assumptions about we're going to be wrong a hundred times but as i said this is a hits driven business we only have to be right once we get 10 paying customers and and we in that market so that's that's going to be our focus over the next year i mean the big the big thing with this and i'm sure everyone's shouting at me to ask the question about the the currency and credit system that you have but you know scaling becomes uh, a bit of a problem when you're dealing with multiple currencies, uh, you're dealing with multiple languages, people across the world, and now you have to pay staff all over the place. Um, the thing that really got me excited about Oli is, is this credit system that you guys have. And I think the the exciting part about it is that, you know, anyone can access Oli from anywhere in the world. And, the you know, you have really affordable practitioners that you can kind of select in specific regions. And, you know the scale is uh, is kind of endless with with companies you know what does that look like and you know the scaling process how does the credit system influence that and allow it to still be very accessible to everyone we need to generate more liquidity of the credits and that just means signing up more businesses if one business has four teams in four different countries that means we can essentially access multiple markets with one sale so, you know, the, the first step is increased liquidity. From the, the supply side, it's important that we focus on, on quality over quantity. You know, we need to work very closely with the therapists to make sure that the patients and the employees feel comfortable, that they are comfortable on telehealth sessions. How are you collecting that feedback? You know, we, we vet them in the beginning. We make mm. sure they're licensed. We actually have an introduction call where, you know, it's not, I'm not going to try and make it sound more complex than what it is. We're mm. just trying to get the vibe of mm. the provider. Sure. You know, are they fumbling over trying to set up the meeting link? You know, what's what's the environment, you know, with with a lot of our employees being a lot younger, it's it's important that they have, a bit of a sense of what the call is going to be like. Mm. You know, we want to press a button and get food delivered. We don't want to pick up the phone and call a restaurant. <laughs> yeah. We want to talk as little as possible. But, you know, when you're sharing your deepest, darkest stories and, and mental health issues, that comfort level is important. And then, you know, I think it's what do they specialize in? You know, we're seeing anxiety and burnout and isolation um, be, you know, the, the biggest kind of driving issues. And, if we can get more languages and we can get more diversity, then, you know, we can make more employees feel feel more comfortable yeah. so that it's not just one type of provider. It's it's male, it's female, it's multi, it's multinational as well. Yeah, and I think that, that comfortability comes back to accessibility when, you know, if someone feels uncomfortable, they're not going to go through with the actual process or booking. And I think... You know, something that you've done really nicely from the beginning is make sure that there's diversity amongst the therapists as well. So, you know, all different types of people. I feel comfortable with certain people. You feel comfortable with other people. 
having that relatability and comfortability just makes everything more accessible. And, you know, a couple of clicks, you can be chatting to someone that you, you really want to speak to and you feel comfortable sharing your deepest, darkest secrets with and, and all the stress in your life. It's the most important thing that we've found is that you're not going to make that booking if you don't feel comfortable and you don't feel mm. like they can relate to you, <clears throat> relate to your culture, relate to what you're going through. A lot of these issues are, are new issues that we're dealing with. And it's it's been the most important thing is making sure that they can get the vibe of the therapist before they book. Amazing. That's Mark from Ollie Health. Thank you so much for being in studio. This has been incredible for us. Yeah, thanks for, for having me on and keep up the content. I definitely get some useful some useful hacks and um, and, and growth techniques from, from Hype. And yeah, would love to do a round two at some stage. Excited to follow Ollie's journey. Yeah, we'll be keeping tabs on you very closely. So we look forward to in about a year's time, we'll We'll jump back in and see the test you've done in the past year. Round two, 100 failed experiments. Let's go. <laughs> we look forward to it. Thank you so much for another episode of My Product Tested. We'll catch you guys next week.